Hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Relatively Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Paisant. Always a pleasure to have you a part of the show, listening to the show wherever you are. Maybe you're in Canada listening because that's where our guest is today. But before we get into that, as always, this show is brought to you by 6am and 6amrun.com. Head over to that website to sign up to get 20% off of your first order and go download that new app that is available Android, Google phone, iPhone, whatever kind of phone you have, I'm sure you can download it unless, I mean, unless it's one of those old brick phones that people have or used to have, I should say. But, um, and also I want to say this, I really like recording first thing in the morning. Um, I don't do that often. I have the, the availability, but no one ever takes up this spot. So I'm very happy that our guest Heather was able to take the spot, but I'm not going to do the introductions. I'm going to let her introduce herself. Heather, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Why don't you go and introduce yourself for our audience? Sure. Thanks for having me, Mark. And oh, I grabbed that 8 a.m. time slot. I'm an early bird. I know. I like to get it's up great. And get at it. <laughs> I, I, I have so many people that are like, hey, get me at 1030. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. But uh, okay, but I digress. Yeah. Thank you so much. Love to get at it. <laughs> well, happy, happy to be here. Sure. So let me share a little bit about myself. So <clears throat> my name is Heather Lillico, and I am a holistic nutritionist and a yoga and meditation teacher. And I started working in this area of natural wellness because I wanted to help people conquer anxiety naturally. And it was through my own experience that inspired me to do this. So let's roll back a little bit. I'll take you back to childhood. So growing up, I was always kind of a nervous kid. I would worry about all the what ifs. I would play out all these different worst case scenarios that wouldn't actually come true. I was very sensitive. I would pick up on the emotions of others. I was an empath. If someone else was upset. I could immediately feel that so deeply and any type of criticism. And I would be in tears and I was a perfectionist. I had to get top marks or I felt like a complete failure. I was always sort of chasing that gold star. And all of this worry, this self-doubt, it followed me through to university where the pressure just became too much and I started to have panic attacks. And the first one I had, I remember I was at a crowded party and my heart started to beat fast, my palms got sweaty, my vision tunneled. I felt this overwhelming sense of dread take over. And so I locked myself in the bathroom and I remember just sliding down the wall, waiting for it to pass and thinking like, this is it, like I'm, I'm dying, this feels terrible. And so I started living in fear of like, when is the next panic attack gonna strike? Is it gonna be when I'm hanging out with friends? Is it gonna be when I'm writing a test? And I started to really build up all of this anxiety in my mind. And so I knew something needed to change. And I went to my doctor and I said, I'm having a lot of anxiety, what can we do here? And she pulled out a prescription pad and started writing me out something for anti-anxiety meds. And I said, let's just pump the brakes because I really haven't explored anything else yet. So let me see if there are some things that I can do first. And this is really where I began the journey to heal, where I healed the beliefs that I had about myself and I started to put habits into place that helped me regulate my nervous system and feel more balanced. So I started by changing my diet I removed some foods that I think were spiking anxiety and I went mostly whole foods plant-based and I saw big changes and started to feel calmer. And then I still felt like my nervous system was really amped up. So I started practicing yoga 
And over time, I noticed I felt calmer still. And I still had a million thoughts in my brain swirling around at all times. And this is where meditation came in. And that was like the last piece of the puzzle for me, that it really clicked that when I consistently did things in all of these areas, I put habits into place with my nutrition, with my movement and with my mindset, that I was a totally different person. And so that's what I teach people now is how can we combine these habits in our day? And I use what I've developed called the cultivating calm method. And when we have all these habits in our day consistently, we can regulate our nervous system and feel totally calmer. So that's the work that I do. And that is great to hear. Thank you so much for sharing. And and I, <laughs> I know that feeling of of the overthinking and, and you can get a, a million compliments, but that one piece of critical information, that's the, that's the part you grab onto and it stays with you all day, all week, all month. It's just like, ah, oh, why did they oh, have to say yeah. that? What did, what did I do? So yeah, it just wiggles in your it, brain. Right. Uh, and so many people yeah. are listening right now. And like, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's what happens. And I'll tell you right now, when I was younger and I, I, I constantly, would keep stuff in my head and continually think about it. I personally thought like, this is how the brain works. Everybody does this. Like everybody is thinking about what I'm thinking about right now. And, and, but why aren't they, you know, nervous wrecks like, like I am, why are they handling it so easily? So, you know, would, would you say when you were growing up and kind of learning this, did you feel like this was just a normal thing? Like everybody did this or did you feel like there had to be a better way? I felt actually the opposite. I felt like I was the only one that felt this way. And I felt really outcast and alone in dealing with it. And partly it was because, you know, I just had a lot of shame around what I was experiencing. And so I didn't talk to people about it. I didn't want to share with my friends uh, you know, I remember in university, like my when I was in first year, I was living on residence um, on campus. And I remember I was just like holed up in my room. I was in tears. I was in such a depressive episode. And my, um, my, my friends were like knocking on my door, trying to get me to come out and hang out. They would like slip notes under my door to say like, hey, you okay in there? And I just, I didn't know how to share what was going on and connect with people. And I really didn't know how to process strong emotions and anxiety is such a strong one. And so I would try to numb out, I would avoid, but I really felt like, you know, I was the only one that was feeling this way and I just didn't have any of the coping skills or I felt like, you know, there's something wrong with me that I can't deal with this and everyone else can. Everyone else can process their emotions, can, you know, be in a group of people and not doubt themselves and think like, oh my gosh, am I coming across as weird or awkward or dumb? I, I just thought it was like a me thing. Yeah. And I can, I totally understand that. And I, before we get into what you're doing now, I, I guess the question that I have, and this might be a, a personal, for my personal benefit, when you were growing up, were feeling something that were often talked about in your house. Could you say how you felt and get a calm or a, a a response that wasn't outlandish or was something like, was your family like, no, we don't talk about feelings. We're, we just keep going. Oh, it's a good question. So let me first say that, I mean, I grew up in like a loving, caring environment with wonderful parents, but we didn't talk about emotions. It wasn't really something, we just kind of swept it under the rug. And 
there, you know, my mom had this phrase that she would say to me, uh, she would say, suck it up princess. When I was having, you know, feeling of sadness or if, if I was like being a brat, to be honest, but I sort of internalized that as you, you can't, you can't go there. You can't, you know, you can't outwardly express whatever you're feeling because you're not going to get your needs met if you do that. And so I sort of internalized that. And then I think came this sense of like, hyper responsibility or like hyper independence, I should say, where I felt like, you know, I just got to do it all myself. I got to, I got to figure it out myself. I can't lean on other people. Um, and, and that's probably why I didn't share a lot of what was going on with, with my friends and family at first, because I just felt alone and I felt like I needed to handle this myself. And I think that's it's so confusing to so many people because on the one hand, they would say, you know, bringing up boys versus girls and, uh, you know, the, the, the women are, they're allowed to express themselves mm. and they're coddled in the boys, but you got basically what people stereotype is, you know, the reaction to boys, like suck it up, like be a man, all that stuff. That's what you got. And I think there has to be that, I'm not going to say a fine line because parenting is hard enough as it is, <laughs> but, but there, there's that line where, yes, I want my child to be independent. I want them to learn on their own. However, like I want to create a safe space for this independent thinker to be able to come and say, Hey, I'm not feeling like myself today or something seems off or I'm sad because of X, Y, Z, and then have that conversation. So is that, would you say that coping mechanism is something you had to teach yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, it was just sort of like the the mentality i think back in the day at least with my parents was like we just don't really talk about these things you can have emotions but you know they can't be big emotions they need to be in the realm of like this narrow sort of like you know just just this 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 fine line and um I remember one time actually I was playing basketball with my dad and my brother in the driveway and we would go out after dinner and we'd play, you know, a little game. And one time we were playing basketball and I sprained my ankle and my dad said, just walk it off, walk it off, walk it off. And I couldn't walk at all. And I had to go to the doctor and I had like a second degree sprain and they were like, this is bad. (laughs) And so it just, it was a different mentality. And, you know, I've, I've done a lot of work in therapy and, um, and to like forgive and recognize like my parents did the best they could with what they knew. So there's no ill, ill will or or hate or anything there, but it really was something that I had to release and let go so that I wasn't, you know, holding on to that and having that type of resentment filling me up. Yeah, I totally understand. And, And I don't know if you're a parent or not, but, um, what, what I've learned as a, as a parent now is, is looking back, I have the same, thought it's like they raised us great all their kids are successful all their kids have made it and at no point would I go back and change anything but it does when I go back and remember kind of the conversations we had and the reactions I had like it changes me as a father like it changed me and and I know what I'm doing now and what I'm telling my girls now is going to affect them as they grow older, become teenagers young adults and they become parents themselves so I think that's something as parents we can take from that so yeah right and interesting to just be more conscious right of mm-hmm. and I think when people do this work right when they really dive deeper it's 
for first and foremost, I hope the benefit of themselves and breaking those patterns. But then if they are going to become parents, yeah, you're going to be more conscious and aware of what you're passing down onto your kids and how you want them to be able to process and receive life. Of course. I And the funny thing about all this and, and whoever I speak to on topics like this, whether it be, um, you know, major anxiety, high function anxiety, depression, overthinking, um, uh, imposter syndrome, all that stuff, which it comes into mindset you know, a lot of the same things are often brought up and two of the biggest things who knew are nutrition and fitness in your case, movement. Um, and then mindset of course is in there. So it, I mean, is it a surprise to you? I think I know the answer to this. Is it a surprise to you that it often comes down to basic things when we're talking about if somebody wants to get in shape, if someone wants to get better sleep, if someone wants to get their mindset or if there's someone to be focused, it usually comes down to a basic core group of things, which includes how we're moving, how often we're moving, what we're putting in our body, and how we're taking the time to actually get some brain work in. Yeah, I think, you know, I think we overcomplicate things sometimes. And I don't think it I don't think it needs to be. And I don't think we need to spend hours every day on these types of self-care practices. I think we can do really targeted practices that address those kind of core areas, right? So it's the thoughts that you think, the foods that you eat, and the way that you move your body. If we can incorporate one activity, one habit each day from those categories, you're going to feel a lot calmer. You're going to feel a lot more equipped to bring yourself back into balance when inevitably life gets stressful, right? And something kind of pulls you out of that equilibrium. We can then notice we've, we've slipped out and, and come back and use our habits. And you know, it's, let me say too, that it's really your habits, your actions that shift your beliefs, right? So for example, I had a belief before that I wasn't good enough. That was the perfectionism kind of mindset. Like I, I have to get perfect on this or I'm a complete failure. And it was really tapping on that kind of limiting belief that, you know, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. I can't apply for this job. I can't switch careers. I can't, you know, find the, a, the prefer, a perfect partner. All those kind of like doubts would come up. And what I realized is that someone who believes that they are worthy has these habits in place because they know that they're deserving of that time for themselves, right? They can take time a couple minutes to meditate because they deserve it. They nourish their body with real whole foods because it's a vessel for everything, right? And they take time to move their body because it feels good and restorative. So I realized that it was really about putting the habits into place that helped me shift the beliefs about myself. And I, so you brought up a, a, a word or a compound word that people use all the time, it's self-care. And I, I, I had an interesting conversation with somebody once and, and they brought up a very good point about uh, we may, some people may use that as kind of an escape from actually doing the work that they need to do. And I'll give you an example and I would love your yeah. take on this is that I've had a hard day at work. I've, the boss is yelling at me. I got pressure on me. I, I come home and the kids are screaming, whatever. You know, things are happening that I'm stressed out. And I'm like, okay, I need my 30 minutes of self-care. Let me plop in front of the TV and eat these chips for 30 minutes. And this is, this is my time. This is my time. Where from the outside looking in, you're like, you know, good for him. He, <laughs> he is taking, and I'm putting myself in this. I'm not putting anybody else. Um, good for him. He's taking time for himself. And, but 
that in itself might be hurting us more than helping us, especially if we do it three, four, five times a day, or if that's our daily routine. Like, I, th- how do we get people to understand that self-care is not just a catch-all for everything for you not doing something? How do you kind of get people to understand that there's more to it than that? Yeah, I think we need to sort of expand on that definition of self-care, right? Because to me, self-care is not numbing out. It's not escaping and running away. Self-care is what we do for ourselves that is restorative, that is rejuvenating. And self-care doesn't always mean that it's pleasant in the moment, right? Because self-care can mean you're going to therapy, which is hard work if anyone's in therapy. And self-care can mean that, you know, you're plopping on that meditation, even when you don't really feel like it, but you know, afterwards, you're going to get that benefit of a calmer mind. So it doesn't mean that it's always, you know, 100% enjoyable, but it has that connection to our higher purpose. It has that like alignment with who we want to become right? That's what self-care is to me. So it doesn't mean you're always going to enjoy it in the moment because sometimes we have to get over that. It's almost like inertia, right? It's like when we're at rest, it's just easier to stay at rest. Once we start moving and going, it becomes a little bit easier. And I find that's the case with these habits is, you know, once we start putting into place a little meditation every day, oh, it becomes a little bit easier to tack on some movement after. So we can sort of build and build out this this self-care plan, but pardon me, but yeah, we do need to sort of reframe what self-care actually means and see it as something that's in alignment with who we want to become. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And and that brings us right into what you just mentioned meditation, because, um, I like a lot of people. Um, I, when I believe, I think meditation is great. I believe in it. Um, you said therapy is hard. I personally think meditation can be hard sometimes too, especially when you're starting. And I'll explain. Uh, I, I would love your guidance or at least your your words on this because, um, you know, it's it's one of those things where people think get to a quiet place, put on the meditation, uh, you know, music or whatever. And And you being a meditation teacher, you can probably understand that people have uh, difficulties, um, you know, bringing it back and focusing as their mind races. Five minute meditation for me, if I don't do it every day, that that first one back, like within 30 seconds, I'm like, okay, what time is a kid's soccer practice? Um, Oh, wait, 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 I'm I'm meditating. I'm meditating. What did he, wait, I gotta, I gotta rewind it because I didn't hear what he, what what he told me to do with my breathing. So for people who are new to it or, or, or find it difficult to meditate, what are just some things you can offer to at least get them going in the right direction? So let me, let me share that as a meditation teacher, I at first hated meditation. Okay. I thought that I had to clear my mind and empty it of thoughts. And I was like, how? I have 1 million of them at all times. There's no way. And so I would sit there going, don't think. Okay. You're thinking, okay. You're, you're going to your to-do list. You're thinking about all the things you forgot to do and that you have to do. Don't think, don't think. So I really had this misconception about what meditation is. And I was bringing in that sort of perfectionist mindset of wanting to achieve something every time, wanting to achieve like nirvana or like some sort of, you know, pure bliss. 
And I really had to reframe what meditation is and that it is a brain training. And so I adopted instead like a growth mindset around it, right? I'm not trying to achieve anything when I meditate. I'm just trying to practice bringing myself back to the present moment. And that provided a little bit of relief, a little bit of softness around what I was trying to do. So not, you know, grading each meditation as like a pass or fail. And it, you know, just like when we go to the gym and we do a bicep curl, you wouldn't leave the gym after doing one bicep curl and go and check your muscles, right? Like it takes time. And over time at the gym, you can start to do more reps. Over time at the gym, you can start to increase your weight. And, and it's the same with meditation. So perhaps at the start, really simple technique that I teach is called the pause three, where in your day, in moments of pause, so let's say you've just woken up and you're about to get out of bed or right before that big meeting or at the end of your day, you want to cap off your workday, you take three deep breaths. You inhale through the nose, into the belly, and then you exhale out the mouth. You do that three times in a row. Just that will regulate your nervous system. So if we can just start with that, then we can maybe start to see, oh, you know, I feel a little bit calmer. And every uh, visit I have with clients or whenever I run meetings uh, with my community, we always start with that, the pause three. And I ask people after, how do you feel? And they're like, oh, I needed that. Like I wasn't breathing today. And so it's, it's just something so simple that I think maybe starts to open the door into the world of meditation, because that's a lot of what meditation is, is focusing on the breath right, is coming into the space of the present. And the breath is so very much tied to the present, right? You can't breathe in the future or in the past. You're only breathing right now. And it's a great way to regulate the nervous system. So maybe someone's starting with that. And then maybe they're doing a guided meditation. I do recommend guided. I've been practicing for consistently every day for over like six or seven years now. And I still do guided almost every time because it's helpful to just have those prompts, right? Oh, notice if you've gone, you know, you've gone away and come back. And we want to bring this attitude of non-judgment into it. And that's really hard as recovering perfectionists is we want to judge everything, right? And say, this is good. This is bad and sort of label it. But with meditation, we're trying to bring this curiosity to it of just exploring, like, what am I feeling right now? What am I thinking right now? Because that helps us manage anxiety better, right? If we can find that separation from the feeling of anxiety, the anxious thoughts that come along with it, then we don't have to be so gripped by it, right? We can just see it as almost something as separate from ourselves. And then we can process it a lot easier when we're sort of examining it out in front of us. And then we can let it move through just like, you know, riding a wave and we can let it move through. I think that's why meditation is so effective for anxiety. I am, <clears throat> I am so happy that you brought up, uh, you know, the breathing, um, and well, two things, the breathing and the, the, the judgment. Cause I, you must be in my head half the time because <laughs> every time I sit down, I'm like, why can't I just get this? Like, what is wrong with you? I'm, I'm doing nothing and I can't do nothing right, but you're, you're absolutely right. And to be honest with you, there's, there's, there's only a couple absolutes in the world. And one for me, two for me, one, I've never walked out into the sunshine or done breathing exercises and felt worse. It's never happened. 
like it's it's an it always surprises myself whenever I'm in a mood or whatever I need to calm myself down, like I, the quick breaths and then the deep breaths, like and for people who haven't done it, like just you have to try it. It's almost like I don't want to say magic. It's not magic. It's just your body working. Like it's literally just your body working. Yeah, but it feels like magic because it's so quick, right? Like we think it needs to be this complicated thing. And I have to process all this stuff. And, but it's like, but what if it was just a couple breaths? What if that is all it took to come back into balance? And then that gives you a little bit more breathing room to be able to process whatever's going on, right? But we can at least come back into a semi-regulated state. So we're not in like such fight or flight because people think, you know, when you, when you slip into anxiety mode, you try to like rationalize and, and reason your way out of it, right? And like, okay, why, you know, why am I anxious right now? There's nothing to be anxious about. Don't, don't be anxious. And it, like, it's like, that doesn't work. Our conscious mind is offline when we are in fight or flight mode. So what we can turn to is practices that engage the body, like breathing, like, you know, somatic shaking, just like shaking out the body. Those are ways to, to sort of override that reasoning part and just show the body you're safe in this moment. It's okay. You don't need to feel anxious or in danger. You know, what I've noticed also is that just, you mentioned the shaking, like just the movement. I mean, so many people, because I, I know you do work with corporate clients and, and talk about burnout and help people with wellness at work. So many people will, will sit down at a cube or a desk for four or five, six hours in a row. Eight, they'll eat lunch at their desk. They're, they'll do everything. And then they'll wonder like why they're just feel blah that day. And what I've noticed for myself is, is when I, when I feel that way, when I've ever, I try not to sit that I'm all over the place as you may can tell, I don't know. My friends know this, but, um, <laughs> but I like to just, just literally stand up and walk around the house, walk around the office, go outside for 15 minutes. And literally the, that mind body connection, that, that everything kind of, shifts where something you would think would take energy away from you going on that walk or getting up and it actually gives you energy. And I think a yes. lot of people fail to just do that. And you're right. We, we, we complicate the hell out of things. We really do. But just simple things like that really can get us back to where we need to be. Yeah. Right. And it, you know, I think part of it is that inertia where we're like, just, stationary and you know or like when you're sitting on the couch and you're watching tv and you think it feels like such a feat to get up off of the couch and even like go to the fridge so like i'll like call to my partner in the other room like hey bring me this so that i don't have to get up off the couch but it's like once you do get up off the couch you realize like oh okay it's you know that that wasn't so bad and so i tell people if you know the goal is to go for a walk one of the best nervous system regulating activities out there, going for a walk. If the goal is to go for a walk, all you have to do is put on your sneakers and close the door behind you. That's a win. That's success in my books. Because what you'll find is that once you do that and that the brain is, it's a little bit easier for the brain to get behind, right? Okay. All I have to do is put on shoes and go stand outside. Got it. But once you do that, you'll realize like, okay, all right, you know, I'm already out here. Okay. Maybe I'll go for a little walk around the block. And then once you do that, it's like, oh, I'm already in motion. You know, it's a little bit easier. I'll just keep going. So we can sort of build it up that way. But we really have to, I think, work with how 
the brain works and that it's designed to conserve energy, right? It's designed to just sort of stay at rest because evolutionarily, this is like what our body wanted to do. But if we can just sort of change the bar for what success looks like, then I think we're going to get in that movement a lot more frequently. I, I think you hit the nail right on the head. It's, it's, and again, going back to what you mentioned before is the behaviors precede the attitude. Like it's what we do. I mean, we can't just get up one morning and say, you know what? I'm going to be physically fit. I'm going to like, you can say all you want to say, like you have to do the action to create the discipline to continually do it. Um, that's why so many people fall back into bad patterns. So many people lose a bunch of weight and then gain it back. So many people, you know, relapse and, and, you know, it's one of those things where, um, somebody told me once, and actually many people have told me that a lot of people in this space that you're in, whether it be mindfulness or, or training or whatever, is that now more and more trainers, coaches, teachers, whoever in this space are talking to people about sustainability. Where in the past, it was always, get me to this goal. Get me here. And then we had wondered, oh, you came back six months. What happened? I thought we, and it's like, we never talked about sustainability. We never talked about the setbacks. We never talked to people about how to react when they have that first speed bump. When they have that first crack in the road. And Mm -hmm. so when they leave either a program like yours or when you're talking to a bunch of corporate elites and they're like, Oh, Heather talked to me about burnout. So now I'm not going to be burned out. And it's like a week later, like, ah, I got so why? Like, so I would love to get your, your take on how we help people not only get to this quote unquote finish line, because you and I both know there's really no finish line. Like we're continually working. It took me a long, by the way, it took me a long time to figure that out. Um, But how we get past this proverbial finish line, but also how we keep people on the right path that they can sustain the things that they've learned. Yes. Yes. This is such a good conversation. I want to say two things about it. I think one, it comes down to the ease of the habits that you're putting in place right? So if you have too many friction points between you waking up in the morning and you going for a walk. So let's say you have the intention of going for a walk, but your sneakers aren't by the door. Your clothes aren't laid out, right? You're, you're checking your phone and you see emails coming in, then you want to address them first. That's too many friction points that it's just not going to happen. So we need to make the habits that we're putting in place as easy as possible. And this is why I start with a really low bar, right? So, okay, you're going to get a 10 minute walk in today on your lunch break, right? And actually schedule it in your calendar. And then maybe we're going to start off with a four minute meditation in the morning. That's like a confidence meditation. That's going to, you know, provide some affirmations and kind of boost you for the day. And then maybe on during a snack time, you're going to eat a handful of seeds. Like those behaviors are going to take you 15 minutes in your day, broken up into smaller pieces. And so it feels manageable at first. Once we get consistency, then we can start to play around with, you know, the length of time that you're doing. So that's one piece is making the habits really simple and easy to work in. The second piece is a greater awareness around your self-sabotage patterns. So what are the things that you do that keep you stuck? 
So I work a lot with perfectionists and one of the main ones is procrastination because perfectionists are so scared of failing, right? And so we procrastinate and sort of put things off until all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's, it's too late anyways. You know, like I, I, I couldn't do it. And so for example, I only realized uh, recently that this was something I was doing is I would create a lot of chaos in my life. So I would wait, I had to, um, as I had my own business, I pay the government taxes. I pay them quarterly. And it was the day before I had to pay my quarterly taxes and I'm going to pay it. And there was an issue with the banking and it wasn't working. And then I had to spend all day on the phone with the bank trying to sort out this issue. Now I knew about this deadline months before. I could have paid this bill any time leading up and I left it to the day before. Because in my mind, it felt too big to do. So instead of just breaking it down and saying, okay, what are the steps I need to do to make this happen? I just sort of like put it in this, in this box in my mind and said, okay, that's a, that's a later thing. It feels too big to tackle. And so sometimes it feels, you know, people's health and anxiety, it feels too big to tackle. So we don't know where to start, meaning we just don't start at all. So but that procrastination can be a, a sabotage tactic. You know, we can sabotage ourselves in rationalizing, convincing ourselves that we don't want to go for that job opportunity. We don't want to go to the party with our friends. We don't want to try and find a new, better partner. We can say, you know, I'm, I'm fine where I am. And that's a self-sabotage, right? It's preventing you from living a bigger, bolder, better life. You're convincing yourself that you're fine where you are and you're not. I think that's just that mediocre mindset. And I, I don't buy into that. I want everyone to have a big free life. I love all that. And I think, you know, oh, once you start talking about procrastination, like my <laughs> ears perk up. Bells because, went off. Uh, I was like, <laughs> and, and I know I'm doing it. Like I know I'm doing it, but it's, it is my, it is my, um, importance gauge and, and let me explain it's like i will put so many things like i'll be sitting at my like i have my my of course podcast station here i have my professional station over here and i will put one off over the other or both until like something external forces me to understand how important one is over the other it's like hey i have to put out this show which again is not my main job. And if I, if I miss a show or if I put it out late, I, nothing really happens. However, my real job, if that ha like something happens to that, but in my mind, they're the same. And it's like, okay, let me put off both of them until my boss is like emailing me 30 minutes before. Hey, Mark, do you have that? Inf I'm like, oh, that's the important one. Let me get on. Somebody told me. And it's like, I don't like, I don't want to do it. I don't, I really yeah. don't want to. What, what I'm telling you is that I probably need to, to speak to somebody about that. But um, yeah, it's I, so I, I, interesting that you're saying like, I, I don't want to. Right. And of course, because that like adult version of us, that sort of like, you know, conscious version of us is saying like, don't do this. This isn't good. But it's really those deeper subconscious beliefs that develop when we're kids. That's the part that's driving the bus, right? It's something about the situation feels scary. It feels unsafe to this sort of younger inner child. So that's, you know, a big part of my work is helping people reprogram that part and bringing compassion to, okay, this little version of you feels scared right now. Like a lot of people will, you know, read an email 
four or five times before sending it off because they don't want to make a mistake, right? Something about that feels really scary because when you were younger, you probably couldn't make mistakes. Yeah. So that we have to sort of like retrain that, that part of our mind and, and tell that little version of ourselves, like you're safe now. It's okay. Adult version of me is going to drive the bus. Now adult version of me is online and is going to take care of you because anxiety really is about safety. It's about a feeling of, of unsafety. So if we can show ourselves that you are safe in this moment, right. And we can do that through movement practices. We can do it through breathing. We can do it through affirmations and telling ourselves like I'm safe in this moment. I repeat that so often to myself when I'm having a feeling of anxiety, but then that helps us move through it a lot quicker. I can, I can tell you the email I sent probably almost 20 years ago of why I triple check and quadruple check the e- emails I send now. Cause I know exa- right when you said that, I'm like, yeah, because I sent I I know like that's amazing. Like I don't remember many things about that time in my life, but I can tell you the claim, the person, the manager I had, the e- what the email was about, and the feedback I got on it because I just sent mm. it without having anybody. I just boom, 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 sent it, and I remember that feeling. And he was really nice about it. Like he was really, hey, Mark, there's some you know things that we you missed and some grammar mistakes and. And he was nice, but in my head, he's yelling, screaming, he's mad, he's going to fire me, like everything, mm-hmm. everything bad is, is going to happen. So, Right. And that's where the mind goes is like, I have clients who will, you know, triple check a document that they're sending off to their boss. And then even after they've sent it to their boss, they're thinking about it because they're thinking, okay, if I make a mistake on this, then my boss is going to think I'm dumb. They're going to think I'm incompetent. They're going to fire me. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my house. My family's going to leave me. It's all of that unfolds in the subconscious mind. And so, um, yeah, if you lost your job and your house and all of your family, that would feel really unsafe, right? To that little version of you. So it's like, that's the underlying part that we need to address. The habits are great to show yourself what you believe about yourself and prioritize you and your self-care but it also does involve this deeper work of reprogramming those beliefs about ourselves so that we come to know we are worthy. We are deserving. We are safe. And I, I've been putting this off for the longest time because um, if you go to Heather's website or anything and, and see her in any yoga poses, she's, she's smiling. And I'm going to tell you right now, <laughs> me and yoga – me and yoga are just, we're, we're not friends and mm. I've tried it. Listen, and this is a person who I, I run, I go to the gym. I, you know, still play adult sports. I don't know why my body has told me not to do that many times, but I still do it. Um, I just, the, the yoga I I've tried, but. What don't you like about it? I'm curious. I, it's not that I don't like, like I would love to be good at it, but I'll tell you around the first time I tried yoga was a couple years ago and it was like a five minute intro to yoga and I'm by myself. I'm like, okay. Like, and I'm thinking like, why am I sweating so much three minutes <laughs> into this? Like <laughs> what is going on? And so I, and I, I, this is a lot of me kidding, but I just, I never like, Yoga for, for yoga for beginners is not something that people I, I think realize like it is it's fitness. Like it is fitness. A lot of people will confuse it with like, okay, I'm just gonna go stretch and have a really relaxing time. Like yoga is fitness. So 
first, I would love to know, like, what made you gravitate to yoga? What did you love about it when you started that you're like, you know what? This, this is me. So it's kind of funny, but just like with meditation, the first time I tried yoga, I hated it. I actually went to my first yoga class by mistake. I thought I was going to a boot camp class, and that was the type of workout that I was always interested in. Boot camp, circuit training, high intensity interval training, anything that I could, to be honest, like punish my body with. And I always thought exercise was about burning calories. It was about being completely exhausted and depleted after. I would get injured a lot. And so I, I went to what I thought was a boot camp class and it was a yoga class. And I thought, well, I'll just stay and, you know, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And I was so lost in the first class. And so that, as a perfectionist, like that pushed me away from it at first because I thought oh, I want to be good at this right away. Uh, and also it was so much of a different pace than I was used to. And I think I was using exercise as a way to kind of numb out, if that makes sense. Like I was using it as, as a way to like not feel emotions and not be connected with my body. And yoga is all about being connected to your body and your breath. And so it took me a little bit to go back to it. I think it was a couple months till a friend brought me back to another class. And I felt maybe a little bit more open to it at that point. And I noticed that after class, huh, it, just, it was like someone turned down the volume on my thoughts. Like I didn't have as many. And I really, at that point hadn't done any breath work, any, you know, I, I felt really disconnected to my body. And, uh, and so I did keep going back and it took a long time. I would say like months, almost like, like a couple years, to be honest, to really like see, oh yeah, I, I get this now. Like I, I get the benefits. And I think one of the biggest things that yoga has taught me is that when you're on your mat and you're in a posture that feels challenging to hold is that you can tap into the breath and just breathe through it and work through it. And that's translated for me off of the mat so that when I'm in my life and things are feeling tough, that I can breathe through it. I know I can handle it. So it's really helped give me that confidence uh, and that greater connection. And what I've discovered too is like, there's all types of yoga. I mean, the type that I typically teach is vinyasa yoga, which is that faster flowing kind of yoga. And so you can sort of get lost in the movement. It's a little bit dance-like, but there's also other types of yoga, like restorative yoga, where it is just you and maybe a couple props kind of like laying there <clears throat> and it's going to provide something different. And in some ways I find restorative a bit more challenging because it does bring in that meditative element where like your mind is going to wander a million places and you practice bringing it back and bringing it back to, you know, body sensations and breath. So I think there is something for everybody in the yoga world, depending on like what you're looking for. But I think it involves being open to it and, and recognizing that like, yeah, it might be a little bit uncomfortable at first. And maybe that's a good thing because maybe we can sort of push through that discomfort and see what's on the other side. Just maybe, maybe you've talked to me into giving it a, maybe giving it another okay. shot. Maybe. Okay, great. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to go hundred percent on this, complete. but may, maybe you have, but <laughs> I always uh, love to ask this question to everybody in your space as you wind down here is that someone is listening to you right now and saying, God, I, I like what she's saying. She, she's, I know what she's saying is, is correct, but I just listen. 
I work 60 hours a week. The, the, you know, the twins have softball and, you know, I got to do this and I'm PTA and got to do this at the school. I'm volunteering here and, and I would love to do it, but I just, I just don't have the time to that person listening to you right now. What words can you give to them to at least get them started in the right direction? So I'm going to say something a little controversial, maybe to this. And that's that saying I don't have time is a self-sabotage tactic because you do have time. You do have one to two minute pockets in your day. Absolutely. How much time do we spend scrolling on our phone? How much time do we spend plugged into the TV? Even like when we're on the move somewhere, we can be doing mindset work during that time. Right? We have the time to eat, so it's really a choice of what are you going to eat? What are you going to choose to fuel your body with? All of this is just a choice. And so I think when people say, I don't have the time, the choice they're making, and there's no judgment behind this, it's just where people are at, but the choice that they're making is to stay stuck and to stay exactly the same as they are because that feels comfortable there. Even if they're not happy, the subconscious mind is saying, stay here, stay exactly as you are with these belief patterns. So I encourage people to think like, what is it that I really want out of my life? Like life is pretty short when we think about it. What is it that I really want to accomplish? And can I do that from where I am now? And for most people, the answer is going to be no, right? I got to change. I got to accept responsibility for my life and my health. And I think when we get to that place, of accepting that responsibility, then we prioritize the time for ourselves, right? And we see, oh yeah, actually I can wake up five minutes earlier in the morning and do a meditation because I know it changes the trajectory of my day. I can close my laptop at lunch and get outside for a 10 or 20 minute walk because I know when I return to work, I'm going to be more focused and calmer, right? And I can choose to incorporate some healthy foods into my dinner or have a snack that's going to balance my blood sugar and help me feel more even and balanced for the rest of the day. Like all of these are choices, but it does involve a mindset flip around prioritizing ourselves and our wellness and wanting to live this bigger, bolder life. I, nothing controversial to me about that. And, and I would even, I would even add a part to that. Cause I would tell people, listen, leave, actually leave your work for, for lunch and, and, or leave at the time you're supposed to and do some breath work and notice that the, the building doesn't burn down. Your company doesn't, you know, go under, like, I think it yeah. just takes a lot of people seeing that, Oh, what I think is going to happen. It didn't happen. Like I still have mm-hmm. my job, my, my boss, like we, we run into these situations where it's like, if I don't do this for this person, this is going, this bad thing is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's anxiety. Is that the amount of times I have to remind myself in a day, you are not an ER doctor, Heather, like what you are doing is while very important work, I think is not life or death. Like get out of that fight or flight mode and just take a breath, calm down, get out of overwhelm. And because when, what people don't realize is how much time we're wasting, worrying, replaying, thinking, planning, being in overwhelm so that we're not truly focused. Like if we got ourselves out of that, we would have so much more time in our day. 
You're absolutely right. So, Heather, this has been amazing. How do people find you online? How do they follow you or sign up for anything you have to offer or just contact you to find out more about what you do? Well, first of all, thank you, Mark, so much for holding space for this conversation, for having me on the the podcast. Such a great conversation. So again, for those listening, my name is Heather Lillico. And if you're someone who is tired of trying so hard and never feeling good enough, you're tired of feeling like you can't relax without feeling guilty, or you're just wasting time playing out scenarios in your mind, then you can come hang out with me in my app community, Cultivating Calm. And there's a free 14-day trial for everybody who wants to give it a go and explore. It's all what we talked about today. So it has meditations on the app, recipes, and yoga practices, and then some courses on the app that put it all together. And so you're spending just a few minutes each day to on really targeted practices to help you feel calm because I don't think a lot of us have you know hours every day for for self-care so folks can head to the app store or google play and search cultivating calm and you can start a free 14-day trial uh, you can also hang out with me on instagram my handle is at heather underscore lil l-i-l I'm sure we can uh, put that in the show notes for for folks but those are the the best ways to connect and uh and I encourage people to just try the ABO for two weeks. Try these practices for two weeks and see how you feel. You're going to notice a big difference in your nervous system and, and how regulated and calm and free you feel. And like I tell people all the time, you can literally stop the show right now, even though it's about to be over, but you can stop the show right now. Go to the show notes, go to those links, go to the app, download it, all that good stuff. Heather, thank you so much for being a part of the show. I appreciate all the work that you're doing. I appreciate you sharing your experiences and your history. Please keep it up and you have a great rest of your day because I can say that because we recorded in the morning because I like that. Usually I say have a good <laughs> night, but I can tell you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. We got much. the whole day ahead yes. of us. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Thank you to our guest this week, Heather Lillico. Please take a look at her website and her amazing yoga poses where, again, she is smiling. I did promise her that I may try it again. But Relatively Normal is written, produced, and edited by me, Mark Paisant. And as always, if you or someone you know is in crisis, please contact the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline by dialing 988 or text HOME to 741741 to reach a trained crisis counselor through Crisis Text Line, a global not-for-profit organization. It is free, it is confidential, and is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Take care of yourself.